Welcome back to another episode of 11 Doll Sports. Professor Rebecca here, summary of part 2, chapter 8. I hope everyone is doing great. Alright, so remember that um, Gatsby was waiting for Daisy's cold and Nick was waiting for Gatsby's cold, but that never happened. And also Nick was... Um, still a little bit in shock because of the previous event that he had witnessed. He remembered Myrtle's death. But that event was somehow forgotten by so many people. Yeah, but it wasn't forgotten in George's mind. So he's still trying to find information about the person who was driving the yellow cart. And that's what we are going to talk about right now. And everything started around noon and there is a connection with uh, Jesus' death and there is a parallel here. Um, remember that noon is also the time of expectation and Jesus um, died at noon but he wasn't removed or his body wasn't removed until 3 p.m. and Fitzgerald... Um, there's some connections here and that's what I am going to talk about right now. So it says, um, about three o'clock, the quality of Wilson's incoherent muttering changed. He grew quieter and began to talk about the yellow card. He announced that he had a way of finding out whom the yellow card belonged to. And then he blurted out that couple of months ago, his wife had come from the city with her face bruised and her nose swollen. Remember when Tom broke Myrtle's nose because he was uh, she was saying um, Daisy's name? So um, George is remembering that incident. But when he heard himself say this, he flinched and began to cry, oh my God, again in, in his groaning voice. Michaelis made a clumsy attempt to distract him. How long have you been married, George? Come on. It tried to sit still a minute and answer my question. How long have you been married? Twelve years. Ever had any children? Come on, George. Sit still. I ask you a question. Did you ever have any children? The hard brown birdles kept thudding against the dull light and whenever Michaelis heard a cart go tearing along the road outside, it sounded to him like the cart that hadn't stopped a few hours before. He didn't like to go into the garage because the workbench was stained where the body had been lying, so he moved uncomfortably around the office he knew every object in it before morning and from time to time from time to time he sat down beside Wilson trying to keep him more quiet all right so continue reading have you got a church you go to sometimes George Maybe even if you haven't been there for a long time. Maybe if I could call up the church and get a priest to come over and he could talk to you, see? 
don't belong to any. You ought to have a church, George, for times like this. You must have gone to church once. Didn't you get married in a church? Listen, George, listen to me. Didn't you get married in a church? That was long time ago. The effort of answering broke the rhythm of his rocking. For a moment he was silent. Then the same half-knowing, half-bewildered look came back into his faded eyes. Look in that drawer, dear, he said, pointing at the desk. Which drawer? That drawer, that one. Michaelis opened the drawer nearest his hand. There was nothing in it but a small, expensive dog leash made of leather and braided silver. It was apparently new. This, he inquired, holding it up. Wilson stared and nodded. I found it yesterday afternoon. She tried to tell me about it, but I knew it was something funny. You meant your wife bought it? She had wrapped it in tissue paper on her bureau. McKeeles didn't see anything odd in that, and he gave Wilson a dozen reasons of why his wife might have bought the dog leash. But conceivably, Wilson had heard some of these explanations before from Myrtle because he began saying, Oh my God, again in a whisper. His comforter left several explanations in the air. Then he killed her, said Wilson. His mouth dropped open suddenly. Who did? I have a way of finding out. You're morbid, George, said his friend. This has been a strain to you and you don't know what you're saying. You'd better try and sit quiet till the morning. He murdered her. It was an accident, George. Wilson shook his head. His eyes narrowed and his mouth widened slightly with the coast of superior. Hmm. I know, he said definitely. I'm one of these trusting fellows and I don't think any harm to nobody, but when I get to know a thing, I know it. It was the man in the cart. She ran out to speak to him and he wouldn't stop. Michaelis hadn't seen these two, but it hadn't occurred to him that there was any special significance in it. He believed that Mrs. Wilson had been running away from her husband rather than trying to stop any particular car. How could she have been like that? She's a deep one, said Wilson, as if that answered the question. Ah, He began to rock again and Michaelis stood twisting the leash in his hand. Maybe you got some friend that I could telephone for, George. All right, so George really needs some mental care right now. But remember, as I have mentioned in previous um, summaries, Back in the 1920s, it was kind of difficult to get the help out of a psychologist or psychiatrist. And this is probably the reason of why um, Michaelis is asking questions to George about um, church, like if he belongs to a particular church or if he goes to church or where did he get married so that he can call a priest because back in the 1920s they took care of situations like this welfare or if people needed money or food or if children needed care the church was usually a group that would step in 
And also, um, George is making connections about the yellow card. And he knows that Tom knows who is the owner or probably knows who was driving the yellow card as he was driving it before. He also remembers the time when Myrtle came with the broken nose. And like I said, it was Tom who did that. So um, he's making connections, even though um, he might not be 100% right about everything he says. Um, he knows that his wife was abused by somebody, and he also knows that she came back from the city with a dog leash. And he's assuming that there is a dog out there that he doesn't know about. Um, he also knows she had a life apart from him, and that's why... Um, they wanted to run away from the Valley of Ashes. And, she, and he also knows that she was running towards the yellow card in order to get to the men. But the men, instead of stopping, um, it ran over her. But um, what he doesn't know is that the person who was driving the car was Daisy and that Tom wasn't in the yellow car. But he's right about certain things um, she was trying to reach Tom to get out of there she was trying to escape from, from the Valley of Ashes I mean she waited 11 years for that alright so Michaelis was sure that Wilson had no friends and about 5 o'clock it was blue enough outside to snap off the light The color blue is mentioned again, and remember that I have explained that blue is the color of um, fantasy. Fitzgerald didn't say gold or yellow, he said blue, because blue, it is um, associated with fantasy. Wilson's glazed eyes turned out to the ash hips where small gray clouds took on fantastic shape and scurried here and there in the faint dawn wind. I spoke to her, he muttered after a long silence. I told her she might fool me, but she couldn't fool God. I took her to the window with an effort and he got up and walked to the rear window and leaned with his face pressed against it. And I said... God knows what you have been doing, everything you have been doing. You may fool me, but you can't fool God. Standing behind him, Michaelis saw with a shock that he was looking at the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, which had just emerged pale and enormous from the sobbing night. God sees everything, repeated Wilson. That's an advertisement, Michaelis assured him. Something made him turn away from the window and look back into the room, but Wilson stood there a long time, his face close to the window pane, nodding into the twilight. All right, so this is where we get the idea that the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg represent the eyes of God watching down. And uh, the ad represents what people in the modern world worship. So uh, maybe we, we worship each other or ourselves. Some of us worship doctors or intelligence or even advertisements. Or the idea that if you purchase something, you become better or wiser 
or more worthy. And so you have these eyes. These eyes are blue. And remember that blue is the color of fantasy. And we also have yellow for the frame. And yellow or the color yellow is associated with cowardness. And if we study existentialism, and the existentialists, they believe that God is a coward because he sees everything, but he doesn't do anything. So there you have the association. Alright, so by 6 o'clock, Michaelis was worn out and grateful for the sound of the car stopping outside. It was one of the watchers of the night before who had promised to come back, so he cooked breakfast for three, which he and the other men ate together. Wilson was quieter now, and Michaelis went home to sleep. When he awoke four hours later, he hurried back to the garage. Wilson was gone. His movements, he was on food all the time, were afterward traced to Port Roosevelt and then to God's Hill where he bought a sandwich. Remember that Jesus walked toward the hill, so again there is a connection. Where he bought a sandwich that he didn't eat in a cup of coffee. He must have been tired of walking slowly for he didn't reach God's Hill until noon. Noon again. Remember the moment of expectation, and it's also the time when Jesus Christ died. Thus far, there was no difficulty in accounting for his time. There were boys who had seen a man acting sort of crazy, and motorists at whom he stared oddly from the side of the road. Then, for three hours, again it says three hours. Remember that Jesus. He was removed from his cross at 3 p.m. He disappeared from view. The police on the strength who what he said to Michaelis that he had a way of finding out. Suppose that he spent that time going from garage to garage, thereabouts inquiring, inquiring for a yellow car. On the other hand, no garage man who had seen him ever came forward and perhaps he had an easier, surer way of finding out what he wanted to know. By half past two, he was in West Egg where he asked someone the way to Gatsby's house. So by that time, he knew Gatsby's name. All right, so he spoke to somebody and that somebody spoke to him about Gatsby and that probably he was the owner of the yellow card and also the person in driving the car. So that person was probably Tom and you'll see yeah, why in the next chapter. All right, so reaching to the end of chapter eight, it says, at two o'clock, Gatsby put on his bathing suit and left the word with the butler that if anyone phoned, word was to be brought to him at the pool. He stopped at the garage for a pneumatic mattress that had amused his guests during the summer, and the chauffeur helped him pump it up. Then he gave instructions that 
the open car wasn't to be taken out under any circumstances. And this was strange because the front right fender needed repair. Gatsby shouldered the mattress and started for the pole. Once he stopped and shifted a little, and the chauffeur asked him if he needed any help, but he shook his head and in a moment disappeared among the yellowing trees. No telephone message arrived, but the butler went without his sleep and waited for it until four o'clock, until long after there was anyone to give it to if it came. I have an idea that Gatsby himself didn't believe it would come and perhaps he no longer cared. If that was true, he must have felt that he had lost the old warm world, paid a high price for living too long with a single dream. He must have looked up at the unfamiliar sky through frightening leaves and shivered as if he found what a grotesque thing a rose is. Um, Fitzgerald is comparing love with a rose. Then he says, And how raw the sunlight was upon the scarcely created grass? A new world, material without being real, where poor ghosts, breathing dreams like air, drifted fortuitously about, like that ashen, fantastic figure gliding toward him through the amorphous trees. Alright, so um, the last three lines of chapter 8 are It was after we started with Gatsby toward the house He didn't say Gatsby's body, he just said Gatsby um, That the gardener saw Wilson's body a little way off in the grass 
and the holocaust was complete. Alright, so um, Gatsby died and, and so did George. And going back a little to what I read before, um, Fitzgerald is mentioning the yellowing trees and he is not using um, any other color but yellow again and like I said the color yellow represents uh, cowardness. Yeah, so George murdered Gatsby and then killed himself and shooting somebody is a coward act because he shooted him in the back. He could have called the police and he could have confronted Gatsby or um, he could have asked um, Gatsby for explanations but he didn't. He just uh, made a vengeful choice and this is pretty much like the eye for an eye mentality. Another important thing that um, we gotta analyze in this um, last part of chapter 8 is when um, Fitzgerald wrote that there were four ghosts breeding dreams like here. So it is said that when we die we become spirits. So um, he's trying to say that George and Gatsby will become spirits together because they are both from lower class. And they were both victimized by the circumstances and also by women. Remember that Myrtle cheated on George and, and put him in that situation. Obviously, he also made his choices and the same thing was get with Gatsby. He also made his choices, but um, he was also somehow uh, put in that situation because of Daisy, because um, she dumped him. Um, they both tried to escape from lower class and, and they couldn't in the end. And so Fitzgerald is also sending us a message that you might be able to accomplish the American dream, but you will never get out of your class, which is uh, sad, and I don't think that's uh, totally true. Um, and also going back to what I explained before, the parallel between uh, Jesus Christ and what George was doing, is that um, George sacrificed himself for his wife and Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us, for our salvation, um, which, you know, I don't think that um, that can be compared, but that is what um, Fitzgerald was trying to, to say. And um, there is another important thing. Remember that Gatsby died in a pool and there is water there, obviously, and unless it's drained, of course. And, but remember that he was always looking at the green light, so he would reach out to, to Daisy across the water and the water can be seen um, as a way of you know, cleaning himself or as a baptism. And, and that he could be cleaned or that he could be healed somehow. And um, Fitzgerald ends the chapter by saying that the Holocaust was complete. 
um, remember that a holocaust is a reckless destruction of life. And the book was written before the holocaust. I believe that um, if Fitzgerald, if Fitzgerald sorry, would have known um, what Hitler did some years um, after, he wouldn't have chosen that word. But in this part, it was a perfect word to describe what it was happening because uh, there was a reckless destruction of life. So um, this is the end of chapter 8. Um, thank you very much for listening and, and for paying attention. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Goodbye, guys.